Welcome to Tattooed Freaks and Business Suits, recorded live in the kitchen of the Personal Touch Career Services in Denver, Colorado. I am your host, Donna Shannon. As a professional career coach, I help people navigate the hiring maze to get to the jobs they really love. So in addition to working with job seekers one-on-one, I do have a book available. You can find Get a Job Without Going Crazy on Amazon. I have a special guest with us today. He also has a book out. I'll let him talk all about that. But this is Kevin Jones with Concilium Coaching. And we're going to talk today about smashing the gay ceiling. I'm really excited about this topic. It's awesome. So a little bit about our show. Our purpose is to explore and redefine the world of work, especially as Gen X, millennials, and those to come after seek position of leadership that still allow them to be themselves. So every show we explore a topic related to business or job searching. And of course, we're going to talk about tattoos. Our sponsor is the Personal Touch Career Services. We're one of Denver's top rated career coaches. So we like to focus on the practical tools for your job search. So that includes resumes, LinkedIn profiles, job search coaching, and ongoing classes. So check out our ridiculously long website, which is personaltouchcareerservices.com. Once again, that's personaltouchcareerservices.com. Or, you know, you can just Google it. Well, hi, Kevin. Thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, hi, Donna. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Excellent. Excellent. So let's just dive right into things. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about you and your career and some of your inspirations for your book? And what is your book? I don't think I even mentioned the title of your book. Oh, well, thank you. I'm happy to jump in here and throw that out. It's called Opening the Corporate Closet, Transforming Biases to Gay Advancement in Corporate America. Uh, And I'll love to share more a little bit about that and for the inspiration for that. Um, but uh, my background, I, well, first of all, I'm in Dallas, Texas. Uh, I live here with my husband of six years, partner in crime of 22. Mm. And we have two crazy Boston Terriers, Pippa and Bertie, who have more Instagram followers than we did. Ah. And that's uh, their claim to fame. Um, yeah. But uh, I had a wonderful career in corporate America that also, I should say, in corporate Britain, because I was able to spend nine years over there where I also met my now husband, Simon. Um, but I had uh, multiple, multiple wonderful opportunities to move up in my career, uh, both both in telecommunications and later on with Ernst & Young. And as I continued to move up and get more responsibilities and greater visibility, I also started to notice some of the some of the things that I hadn't seen when I was younger and more junior in my career. And that was really the inspiration for my book as well. I started seeing these leadership announcements that you always see, uh, Mm -hmm. leadership changes. Uh, We're having this person in, this person rotating out. And it's fairly formulaic as you would expect. You get these emails that say, Donna Shannon is now taking over the role of sector leader, et cetera gives a little bit more professional information about Donna. Then at the end, it says, Donna is married to her husband, Blake, and they have two children. Mm. Or Kevin is married to his wife, Blake, and they have three children. And I started noticing this pattern that there were very few people, if any, like me, in those leadership announcements. 
Mm-hmm. I never saw a man married to a man or a woman married to a woman. And it got me thinking about this being the tip of the iceberg. Why don't people make it this far in the first place if they're members of the LGBTQ community? Right, right. So do you have like any stats or figures or, or studies that kind of reflect that? Um, we've seen a lot of things, you know, studies in recent years. It's like persons of color and CEO roles make up less than 3%. And I'm probably getting that figure wrong, but it's like distressingly low. Yeah. One of the most, when I started researching this book, one of the most striking data points for me was when you look at the number of board members across America, there are over 2,000, I think it's 2,200 board positions in America. 0.4% of those are made up of people who identify as LGBTQ. Wow. That's shockingly low. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And when you expand that to people who are in the C-suite, and again, these are people who self-identify. And when you expand it to the C-suite, fewer than 1% of all publicly held companies have people who identify as LGBTQ at the C-suite level. Wow. Yeah. So do you have any ideas or theories on why the figure is so low? Yeah. You know, it's such a... It's disheartening and heartening at the same time when I think about what the changes are that I've seen. But my theory around this is oftentimes you're battling uphill against corporate culture. Mm-hmm. And there may be no individual reason, but collectively you may be finding all of these biases and microaggressions. Uh, nobody's openly calling you, you know, a derogatory name anymore, hopefully. But you often have organizations where you don't feel comfortable being out. So you stay closeted and you may be able to advance, but you're not bringing your whole self to work. Yeah. Or vice versa, you're out, but you encounter these biases that then keep you from being able to move up as far as you want in that corporate ladder. And my theory around that is because uh, I think there probably are people who are moving up. Who, self, like, who, who are LGBTQ, but aren't out at work. In fact, there's a, there's a data point, 37% of people who participated in this Gallup poll back in 2021 said they were not out at work. Yeah, that reminds me of a good friend of mine who has been with her wife for over 20 years, very long-term committed relationship, openly gay, part of the community here, but at work, she knew her boss was very conservative Christian and never referred to her wife. It was always her spouse and could never say her spouse's full name. It was always T, not Teresa. And here's the thing that really bothered me about all that. It's like she'd been with this company in this role for this boss for like eight to 10 years And every morning, her boss insisted that she come into her office. So they did their prayers to start the day. And this was not a religious organization. This was a property management business, a commercial property management business. And of course, my HR hackles just go up, right? Because you can't, you can't do that. Go get in the penalty box. 
because you can't force your employees to accept your religion. But yet, if she ever admitted that she was gay and married to a woman, she probably would have been fired. You know, you have hit on a major nerve here, which is you may not be fired for not participating in the prayer group every morning, but you may be put on some naughty list for not being a team player. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then that starts to add. Once you're on one naughty list and people see you as not being a team player, they start to gain these perceptions, negative perceptions of you in other ways as well. Mm -hmm. And it's all that collection of negative perceptions, typically wrongfully earned, which will get you out the door. Right. Right. So one of the things that we were kind of talking about before we started recording was the pink camouflage. So can you tell me some more about that? Yeah. When, when I think of visible minorities, women, people of color, everyone who's a minority faces their own biases, their own discrimination. With people of color and women as a visible minority, people may still have derogatory thoughts about you, but it's unlikely in this day and age that they will openly share those thoughts or tell those kinds of jokes in front of you. Of course it happens. In our polarized society, it does happen. But it's less likely that somebody is going to deliberately go out of their way to spew that kind of language in front of you if they know you're a woman or a person of color. Mm -hmm. Contrast that with people in the LGBTQ community. As children, we are struggling with who we are and who our what our identity is. And often we may grow up in family or communities, <clears throat> churches, where people make jokes about gay people. People make derogatory comments about them. You hear those comments as a child. You process those comments. You recognize that it's not okay. If people are telling these kinds of jokes, if people are making these derogatory comments and have all these unkind names for people like me, you immediately and very quickly understand that to survive in this environment, I'm not going to be like that. Mm -hmm. And so we learn how to camouflage ourselves we do all of these things that keep people off the sense, if you will, of who we really are. And we cloak ourselves in what I call this pink camouflage. As long as we want to, as stressful as it is and as exhausting as it is, we can fake who we are for the sake of survival. Mm -hmm. And many of us bring that childhood memory and practice of surviving through camouflage into our workplace if we feel like that is a survival technique that we need in order to succeed or remain employed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So what do you think are some of the challenges that LGBTQ community is facing in breaking through that ceiling? You know, I'd love to go back to one of the ones that you were actually talking about with surprisingly the religious aspect. Um, one of the main reason people, one main reasons people cite for not being out at work is either their own religious upbringing 
or the religious environment in the organization where they work. And we're not talking about nonprofit religious organizations. We are talking about for-profit companies. Yeah. I'll give you an example. Uh, one of my coaching clients a while back had uh, someone in his office who wanted, who asked if she could pray over him for being gay. No. Oh, that's, oh, I'm just cringing. <laughs> I, I, I had to, as a coach, I had to stay kind of stoic and listen and nod, but I was cringing as well on the insight. And so I was asking a few questions and kind of what I really wanted to know back to your point is where was HR in this? Mm-hmm. And we finally got to the point of HR and he said, I can't go to HR because she goes to the same mega church as this person. Oh. Who to pay over me. Yeah. Long story short there, he ended up leaving the organization and that was the right move for him, but he shouldn't have had to. Right. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a moment kind of like about legal protections versus things in action. So as we know, there's been a lot of legislation over the past few years, both on a federal level and then some individual state levels to help protect people who are, you know, gay or part of the queer community. Although, unfortunately, sometimes we're seeing those things getting knocked back. Um, I think it's important to note one thing about Colorado has more protections for the LGBT community that go further back than some other states. So in most cases, uh, I'm going to put my HR hat on (laughs) because I remember studying this way back when I was in college in 2012, I was getting a more advanced degree and we were looking at the example of specifically Uh, In Colorado, it's illegal to discriminate against people for sexual orientation or gender. And even in 2012, that was a law. It actually predated that by several years. And the other interesting thing about Colorado is that is enforceable if the company is as small as one employee. Most of the times, EEOC protections don't kick in until a business has 15 or more employees. So sometimes it's important to know what your rights are specifically to your state. But let's face it, there's the law and then there's action. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And this is another hurdle that the LGBTQ community faces. Do I want to take up the battle? Even if I am protected by the law, mm-hmm. even if I am right, morally, ethically, legally, do I want to expend the energy on this battle? Right. Um, and I think that's the tough thing to contrast. So wonderful. Uh, I can I can only drink. I live in Texas and say no more. That mm-hmm. we are seeing so many bills and proposals and activity that take away, that restrict, that in many ways silences the voices of the LGBTQ community here. And to your point about do you, do you go out there and do something about it, I would add this other sort of thin layer on top of it, which is it depends on where you are too. 
Yeah. Uh, even if even if there are legal protections in place, you don't know how the courts might rule in this day and age. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a big risk. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you're coaching with people, kind of hitting on this issue again, at what point does it really become clear that maybe it's time to move out of an organization versus trying to be that agent of change within it? You know, yeah, and, and I love this question um, because even though, of course, it gets down to the individual and what they are willing to do, the question that I tend to ask is, at this point in your life, where do you want your energy to go? Mm. Mm -hmm. Because what I notice is by the time I'm having that conversation with people, they're already kind of drained. And yeah. so yeah. what they have left, do they want to stay where they are? If they're closeted, do they want to stay closeted and keep putting up with it? Is advancement that important to them? And there's no right answer. The flip side, though, is if you've expended this much energy already and you're out, what gains have you seen? What progress have you made? Does it feel like there's more to come? Do you feel like you have more to give? And it's these kinds of conversations that reveal a lot to me about whether it's time to move on. Um, frankly, as a human being and a member of the LGBTQ community, what I want to say is get the hell out of there. If right. there's questions. Um, but I also get that change has to happen from within. And we need those people to stay who could be those warriors. It's again, whether you have the energy to do that and whether you want to expend your energy in that way. Right. And, I, you know, there's also on the agent of change point, how much positivity can you bring into the new role? And maybe the organization is to a point where it needs to evolve. So this is a side story because it was a race and gender issue, not so much like LGBTQ, but I was helping one of my clients prepare for an interview. She was coming up as an executive role for this one broadcast organization and the board had wanted to do a big change in culture. So their new CEO they hired was a woman of color. And they were now scrambling to hire a whole bunch of executives because literally half of the white middle-aged men all went, we're not going to take orders from a black woman and they quit their job. And it's kind of like, that's one of those things where you go, good, please take yourself out of this organization. Self-selection. That is incredible. So what, I'm curious, what happened then after that? Well, here's the thing that was also a little bit mind-blowing. So it was, you know, a broadcast channel and cable uh, that caters to women. Uh, Their primary audience is women. The cobbler's <laughs> children have no shoes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, fortunately, my, my client got did get hired for one of the vice president roles there. They're doing wonderful culture shift, culture change, top down, because uh, all this came about is, you know, after Black Lives Matter, and then the board got involved with the leadership at this station, well, more than a station, but, you know, 
because they really wanted to see change. And it wasn't just, let's check a box off. And it's like, yep, we've got our diversity, equity, and inclusion person that we hired in the HR department just to make us look good in front of everybody. And, you know, it, we're coming up into Pride Month. We're going to see the flood of the corporations are all going to go rainbow. And it always makes me wonder how much of that is genuine and how much of this is just going after the pink dollars. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I write about this in the book a bit, um, this sense of corporate authenticity when mm -hmm. it comes to Pride Month. And, you know, one of the conclusions I came to, and I was surprised because I went into this with a with a cynical bias that they're just doing it for the money because they know where the pink dollar is. And the conclusion I came to was, so what? Mm -hmm. if it's more than they were doing 20 years ago. It's more than they were doing 30 years ago. We're making progress by highlighting it. Even if all these corporations are putting the rainbow flag behind their profiles on Instagram, on, Instagram, on LinkedIn for the month of June, they're doing something. Mm -hmm. And as long as they're not you know, to, to borrow the Hippocratic oath, you know, first do no harm, as long as they're not doing any harm and they're highlighting the LGBTQ issues out there during a month in the year, I say go for it. And then if they continue to do more and do more while well, they're building on a foundation now that may be uh, profit driven, but it may soak into more and more layers of the organization and society over time so that it does continue to drive awareness and deepen change. I think there's some sense of normalcy to it too, right? Yeah. The more we see it, it just becomes one of those things that it's like, not unusual because now it's just part of our regular lives so to speak yeah and i love that point because that that normalization of something to it's 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 great for society as a whole and it's great for people in the lgbtq community because we feel more included when we see people like ourselves on those advertisements when we see those campaigns, when it is more than just a white man and a white woman drinking a beer or whatever it is. And so I totally agree with you. The more we see that and the more normalized it makes us all feel, the more we have in common and the more that we can share with each other despite any superficial differences like sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll be honest, like sometimes it's almost like coming out in stages. Right. And kind of my own journey. So I'm non-binary. So I use the they, them pronouns quite a bit. I am married to a man. We've been married for 16 years. It doesn't really do anything to impact our relationship. It's just a self-identification on a gender issue. And let's say it was last year that I first put my pronouns on LinkedIn as they, them. And then I was like, got really, really paranoid about it because we had our sales slump in July, which we always have a sales slump in July. People are out there doing their vacations. Hiring slows down a little bit. 
we don't sell quite as many resumes in July. But I was convinced that it was because I had changed my pronouns. And it took three to six months after that, that I was like, you know what? Um, let me try this again. Change the pronouns on LinkedIn. And still, even then, it's like, okay, but on my website, it's not changed yet. Because that was, I don't know. It, it's like coming out in stages. And now I was like, you know what? I am still going to use the they, them. And if this turns into people are going to deny working with me and my team because I'm using they, them pronouns when we already have a diverse staff in terms of uh, color, sexual orientation, gender issues, things like this, I'm going to support all of my staff as well by being able to come out and use those pronouns. And, and honestly, if that bothers somebody, maybe they're not the right client for us. Beautiful. And, and you know, I, you touched on a couple of things that I'd love to just highlight. Number one, that leadership, setting the example as a leader. If you have this diverse group uh, of people you work with and you're not setting the tone from the top, how can you expect them to be their full authentic selves? So mm -hmm. the fact that you do that from the top, uh, however we define top, it doesn't have to be hierarchy, but from a visual, as the leader of the organization, you're setting that beautiful tone. And mm -hmm. the other thing that I think is, is, is interesting, and, and I talked about this again as well in the book, you touch on a key point, which is anybody who isn't straight, you, you come out all the time. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I kind of alluded to it earlier. Somebody sees my wedding ring. They think I'm married to a woman. I have to say I'm married to a man. Or I don't. I make that decision. But I've just come out again. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a client who doesn't know I'm gay and they're kind of making some, some derogatory comments about gay people. Mm -hmm. Do I say something? Don't I? We come out. I, I was reading something uh, and, and I, I've included this. It was a quote by a, a woman, a, a lesbian partner in a large law firm. And she said, you know, I, I come out every day. She said, I have clients, new clients all the time, and I'm not going back in the closet. But what that means is that she is always coming out to somebody in some form of fashion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which takes courage. It repeatedly takes courage. Absolutely does. And, and energy. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So now we get to come to one of my favorite parts of the show where we get to talk about tattoos. And Kevin, you do have a tattoo, right? I do. I was such a rebel and nonconformist in college. I got a fraternity tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> if that tells you anything about how far I've come in my own journey, I was in a fraternity. I was closeted. I was quote unquote straight. And I got the tattoo like everybody else in my fraternity. Mm -hmm. And you got it on your ankle, right? On my ankle. So I loved, I used to love like sitting in these big, important, or I thought they were important meetings in corporate America in my suit and my you know, nice clothes, knowing I had this tattoo on my ankle. <laughs> yeah, you're just going to subtly flash the tattoo at people. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Although I will say, I was actually disappointed as well because I found out there are more people out there who have tattoos than I ever imagined. And oh, so yeah. we were at a quick story. We were one of these dinners with clients. We were out one night for dinner and I we were we had a few drinks. It was friendly client and somehow the topic of tattoos came up and somebody said they had one. And then I piped up and said I have and come to find out over half the table had a tattoo or tattoos. Yeah, very common. Very common. So before we completely wrap things up for today, what is your one biggest point of encouragement you can give to somebody in the LGBTQ community about taking that leap and trying to move up the ladder and smash that gay ceiling? You know, especially with the younger generations. Um, and and I, I look at how how much the millennials and Gen Z are, I see the bravery in that, and I see that they aren't taking anything from anybody, and I love that. And so the one piece of advice or guidance or observation that I would have for people who are younger than me and different points in their careers is choose authenticity over advancement if you have to. Be your authentic self. It pays off in the long run. And then I'll, the second thing to that, which is a little bit more practical, is if you are in the LGBTQ community and you are struggling at work, find a coach. doesn't have to be me. Just find somebody. And or find somebody who can mentor you within the organization who you trust, whether they're gay, straight, non-binary, lesbian, transgender, whatever. Find that person who's more senior than you in the organization, whose confidence you can place in and look to them for guidance within the organization to help you navigate those biases, those nuances, and those microaggressions that you may likely face. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Kevin. What's your book once again and how can people get in touch with you? Yes, thank you. So, excuse me. So it's called Opening the Corporate Closet, Transforming Biases to Gay Advancement in Corporate America. It is available June 6th, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. You can pre-order now. And I would love to hear from you. Two ways people can get in touch with me. Uh, connectwithkev.com. Uh, or and I would love for anyone who is listening who may be interested to take a quiz that is really all about assessing where you are in terms of uh, your own LGBTQ journey, your own decisions about being out and how that impacts your own leadership style and how authentic you can be in that leadership style based on your journey. And so that is at uh, corpcloset.com. So court closetquiz.com. Great. And I'll put all your links in our show notes. So if somebody's looking for these links, you know, just, just come to back to the description and you can click through and definitely get in touch with Kevin. So thank you very much for being on our show. Uh, everybody else out there, if you like what we're doing, please give us a like, give us a follow, give us a comment. If you don't like what we're doing, just keep it to yourself. The world is mean enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you.
<laughs> Thanks, Sara. Thanks for listening to Tattooed Freaks in Business Suits, produced by the Personal Touch Career Services. Our host is Donna Shannon. All music has been ethically sourced and licensed from SoundDogs.com and EpidemicSound.com. Support the arts. We certainly do. Join us next time as we continue to explore the evolving world of work and leadership in the United States. If you are interested in being a guest or if you would like to receive a complimentary career evaluation, please visit the contact page at personaltouchcareerservices.com. Once again, that's personaltouchcareerservices.com. Or you can just Google it.